Hello, and welcome to One Stop Co-op Shop, your one stop for board game news and reviews. This week, game designers Peter Gusis and Michael Kelly will review a cooperative game and have a related design discussion. Hey, this is Mike, and I'm here with Peter. Hey, this is Peter, and we have a special guest, Jason, this week. Yeah, it's Jason Perez from Every Night is Game Night. We haven't had you on in way too long, buddy. How you been? Yo, my peoples, what's up? I'm doing good, man. How are you guys doing? We're doing awesome. Yeah, school's getting close, so I'm getting stressed out, but I think every parent or teacher feels that way. <laughs> you got to watch some hockey, Mike. Me and Peter, before the call, we're talking about watching the Islanders going on a breakaway. Oh, there's another goal. Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> Something to get some energy out. Get, just let all the stress, away. all the stress just drips away. <laughs> exactly. All right, so we have uh, Jason on for an episode today. We are talking about Endangered, which is a game, I think it came out early this year or late last year, but it's currently on Kickstarter with a uh, new print run and also an expansion. And for our design discussion, we're going to talk about games that tackle sensitive subjects and just ways to do that and add that to your games and what people have done well and, and what maybe they could do better. But before we get to that, we'd first like to thank some of our Patreon supporters, Uh, These are people who are given a little bit every month to help us uh, pay for games, pay for our podcast fees, uh, YouTube stuff, and usually con visits, although uh, the cons aren't really happening right now, sadly. But a thank you to all of you. And specifically this week, we're thanking Daniel Halliday, who's a co-op lover, Karthik, also a co-op lover, and Frank Bouveau, who is a co-op MVP. So Daniel, Karthik, and Frank, or Frank, sorry if I pronounced your name wrong, uh, thank you to the three of you. Thank you to everyone who's supporting us. Uh, we really appreciate everything you do. And really, for anybody, you can support us just uh, leaving a review on iTunes or whatever uh, podcast software you're using to listen to us. Uh, go and subscribe on YouTube. Join the conversation on our Slack or our Discord channels. Yeah, just join the One Stop Co-op Shop family. We'd uh, love to have you along with us. So Jason, it's been a while, man. What you been up to? I've been making videos for your channel. Woo! <laughs> Look at that. Every night is co-op shop. <laughs> so it, it just rolls off the tongue. It's a perfect <laughs> a, a perfect merger of whatever. One stop game night. <laughs> I wanted to thank you guys so much since we have the opportunity. So I put the I, uh, the host of Every Night is Game Night. I put the podcast on hiatus when Corona hit because of life and job getting busy and kids being home and just you don't have enough time for all this stuff. So I just kind of you know put the podcast on hiatus and I think like I got a creative bug. But I wanted to do something different and I tried video and I've had like random bits of equipment around. But it's like, you know what? Let me just kind of like really try this. So Mike helped me out with some suggestions for equipment and, you know, playthroughs are fun. You know, um, playthroughs, you know, uh, the one stop co-op shop is that's where it started. You know, um, you know, Colin with his over enthusiastic playthroughs. I, I really do feel <laughs> like he. uh well, I say overenthusiastic, but he, I, I love it. It's like he, he he really does put Rado to shame with his, with his enthusiasm. So, like, you know, having the one-stop co-op shop as a playthrough channel and then, you know, how it's grown and, you know, how you, Mike, have kind of grown it. And it was just a really nice opportunity to be like, you know what? Let me try it. I am not officially a part of the one-stop co-op shop channel just yet. I do have some plans in the works, and I'm going to be, you know, kind of mentioning it and working through it. But, you know, as Mike was so nice to point out i feel like to feel like I'm, I'm part of the family and i definitely appreciate you know guesting on videos and hopping on as a guest here 
Yeah, man. I mean, you've been awesome, doing awesome work. If you haven't checked him out, uh, Jason's two most recent videos on the channel. He did uh, Call to Adventure, the Stormlight Archive, the standalone for that. Call to Adventure, is that right? It's not Roll for Adventure. Yep. Roll for <laughs> Call to Adventure. <laughs> this, too, too many dang something adventure. Like, a lot of adventure. <laughs> <laughs> journey to adventure. And uh, then most recently, he did the playthrough for Endangered. So if you want to see the game in action and kind of uh, see Jason and hear him talking about the game, then you can go check out that video. And let me tell you, Jason, you picked the perfect time to take a hiatus because nothing new came out for like four months. Yeah, so right? it's been it's been a little <laughs> bit of a struggle here. I feel like we're getting to the end of it, though. I feel like I'm pretty excited about the stuff coming up over the next couple of weeks. Oh, yeah. I mean, Jason, you would have just had to like have Kevin and Liz on again and just go through the 100 solo games uh, a few more times. One by <laughs> just one. Had some space. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. One episode for each game. One to 100. <laughs> You'd have to rename your show Every Night is Pandemic Night. Oh, uh, <laughs> don't tempt me. <laughs> no, if you want a, a, a playthrough video of every single pandemic, I, I, my finger is on that button. That's right. <laughs> Jason is the pandemic king. Well, I'll tell you what. We actually played Pandemic Season Zero, just oh. the mod they have on Tabletop Simulator. It's uh, up there for everybody to try. Just the kind of prequel episode before the actual game starts just to get a feel for the mechanics. Uh, have you had a chance to try that out yet, Jason? Nope, I have not looked that at it. I, I, I have an, I have a hard time with the, the tabletop simulator. I just I spend so much of my time in front of the screen anyway. It's just, it's hard. Yeah. You know. So the two big things to know about the Pandemic Legacy uh, Season Zero demo on tabletop simulator. Uh, first of all, I liked it a lot. Uh, Peter, I'm curious about you because uh, I never played through all of Season 1, but I know that's like still one of your top gaming experiences of all time. But I did not love a Pandemic Legacy Season 2, and I'm generally not a huge Pandemic fan in general. But I like this a lot. I mean, uh, I like the new things they did. I thought it was uh, kind of streamlined in some ways, but also had more theme with kind of this Cold War spy theme in other ways than some other versions. So I like that. Uh, but the big warning for anybody who plays the demo, it was clearly built for like playing the game at Gen Con for 20 or 30 minutes and getting people moving from the table as quickly as possible. They have uh, preset the decks for the game to be stupidly easy and winnable in very few turns. So please don't go in thinking you're going to get some like dramatic experience, like a full game of Pandemic. You're going to be done in like five turns and it's going to feel very unsatisfying if that's what you're looking for. But you can shuffle up the decks and play it however you want. I mean, the, the groundwork is there to play it as a normal mission if you want. But yes, if you go with their standard setup, you follow how they tell you to do it. It is definitely just meant to be a 30 minute demo for sure. Yeah. How about you, Peter? What did you think about it? I liked it a lot. And the thing, I mean, it's funny to me that you say you like it a lot better than pandemic. Cause the thing I think I like most about it is it felt a lot like pandemic. And that was my biggest problem with season two. I think they went too far away from that. What makes pandemic good and they definitely don't do that here with season zero. It felt a lot like pandemic with a couple small tweaks to the core play. So it's not like, you know, just tacking on an expansion or something or what it would feel like a couple episodes into season one. It feels like a little bit of a new core game. But if you've played a lot of pandemic the way I have and the way Jason has, you'll see that a lot of the bones of it are pandemic. And I like that a lot. My friend is getting it. Adrian, if you're listening to the show, hi, Adrian. Uh, I, he listened to Adrian Night Game Night and all the associated podcasts like this one and Beyond Solitaire and all that. So we are going to play in New York. I'm going to take a week off in October. We're going to bang it out. Looking forward That's to it. That's awesome, man. Sounds great. Well, Jason, how about right now? I know uh, life is pretty busy for all of us, but what games have you been getting in? 
<laughs> really? <laughs> None, Mike, zero. <laughs> yeah, you're going to want to edit that one out. <laughs> Absolutely not. That's staying in there. <laughs> Basically the playthroughs. That's all I've been playing. Oh, man. I'm so sorry to hear that. Basically the playthroughs. It's It's been a it, just like kind of a brain for it. Like I'm still – I think the thing that I was doing – and I pro- probably get into this more in the next one you have with the roundtable. Like I kind of lost the thread of just solo solo gaming in general. Like I just didn't like you know because it's you, you you end the day and it's you're just exhausted, right? Yeah, which is interesting because you would think with all the and it's not free time. It, it's, I say free, you know, everybody's got a bunch of free time now to right. people, and they're like, "What are you talking about? I'm working. I've still got my full schedule. This and that." Yes, I get it, and I know work's a little bit different. And yes, I know if you have small kids, which we all do, they're around right. all the time. But it's also not like you're going out to the mall or to the zoo or to wherever as much as, you know, to parties, birthday parties on the weekends, stuff like that. So that's what I'm talking about with free time. It's, it's you know, there's a lot of things that we had had scheduled in the past that we're not doing anymore, getting together with friends, whatever else. So you would think with more time that most people have that we'd get more gaming in or more solo gaming in at least, you know, where you don't have to worry about social distancing. You know, because we we have a, a routine, right? So it's like we have our job looks a certain way and our kid routine looks a certain way. We kind of get into a groove and we kind of fit gaming into that groove. And now you just blew all that up. So like, you know, my job is, is much busier because I see more clients because I could, be, I actually had one lady, she was, uh, I'm a psychotherapist and people don't know, and I'm doing telehealth. So like there people are talking to me on their laptops and their phone and this one lady on the toilet and she calls me and she's like, uh, do you mind if we could have the session? <laughs> like <laughs> I'm billing this so you could do your business, whatever you got to do. So I was like, I'll be honest, that- I'm on the toilet right now. So we're good. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> TMI, Peter. Is that that echo I hear? <laughs> Absolutely. Oh my god, TMI! This is terrible. Uh, no, but like, like, but in the past, you know, that person wouldn't have come. So like, now they're coming. So like, my job is busier, and the kids being around, and uh, my kids aren't old enough to game. So like, I know you guys have older kids, and you can play even like the the simpler co op games. Like my kid is five, and I'm just getting her into Outfox. Yeah, you yeah. know, and Outfox is about as comp, and, and we're not even really playing Outfox. We're just, I'm just kind of like guiding her through it, but she likes rolling dice and. And stuff like that. So that's okay, but like that's not gaming. Sure. You know, and it's like by the time I get through all of that and it's like nine o'clock and it's I'm like, all right, I'm just gonna play the Sudoku. <laughs> See, and I'm on the other end. My kids are getting a little bit older, but by the time you know, they're they're so interested in screen and everything else now, they're beyond the point where they want to play games with dad. I can I can get them in every once in a while, but sometimes I'll be like Jones in to play something. And like I'll get myself all psyched up about it because a lot of times when I ask them to play, they will, but then they won't play with me or they'll, you know, they'll, they'll have their friends or whatever else, you know, a lot of virtual stuff right now with their friends. Mm -hmm. And so I won't get a game in for the day and I'll just get angry at them as if it's their fault and not mine for just getting myself super psyched up about it. I'm like, what's wrong with you kids? (laughs) Don't you like gaming anymore? Just because, you know, one day they don't want to play. So yeah, I, I know what you mean. It's uh, it's definitely a different world right now, and we're definitely getting a lot more family time than than ever before. And now that like we're settling in, like it's been six months, right? And I think there's at this point we're calling it kind of a new normal, you, you know. So like, uh, you know, Mike, you've already been no- notified that you're going to be home, right? So it's not like there's going to be a, a, a big surprise. You can kind of like set up your new routine, exactly. Like I'm finding that things are starting to kick up again. Doing the playthroughs has helped. It's it's like I I, I realized how much having every night is game night kind of made me play. 
because like, well, I got another episode, so I got you know, bang out a couple of games. So it was like, you know, that it, like it wasn't forced, but it was nice to have that kind of like prod. It's like, all right, well, let's get some gaming in. Uh, and it was nice to, you know, have like a, a, I made myself a project. I'm like, I'm going to do this. And Grand Gamers Guild sent me Endangered. And I'm like, okay, I'll make it a playthrough. So that was nice to have that prod. And I'm hoping that like, as I kind of get into a little bit more, I'll get that, get that zest back. But uh, we, we shall see. Yeah, we hope so too, man. All right. So uh, Jason, you've had a chance to play Endangered and you kind of kicked off this whole thing. I don't think I'd be covering this one if I hadn't seen and enjoyed your playthrough. So we're going to get to our review of Endangered. All right, so before we get into the how the game plays, let's get into the theme a little bit. And basically, you're trying to save an endangered species. So in the base game, it comes with tigers and it comes with otters. And your goal is to get these different ambassadors to vote yes to help save these endangered species. So that is the theme of the game. And meanwhile, there's like deforestation going on. There's oil spills going on in the water. So you're really trying to get these ambassadors vote for you before the species gets wiped out. And to go over the core mechanics, uh, first you have uh, you have player turns. So you each take your individual turn. And on your turn, you'll roll three dice and you'll place them on these action spots. You start with four on the board, but then you can play more from your hand of cards. Each player has cards that come from a deck keyed to their character type. And those cards will often have more actions. So you'll place your dice on these actions. But the key thing is you can't place more than one of your dice on the same action. And for later players' turns, they can't put their die on the same card that you already have put your die on unless their die value is higher than yours. So you have a little bit of like, uh, you know, dice placement puzzle going on there. But your actions will uh, influence these ambassadors. It will move the animals out of harm's way and try to help them reproduce. It'll get rid of the destruction tiles, deforestation and stuff. So then you, uh, after you take your actions, you roll for offspring. You roll a die and you have a chance of uh, birthing a new animal, which helps you keep their uh, numbers up. Then you roll for destruction, which varies based on which animal you're playing with. And then you draw what's called an impact card, which is usually going to be bad. Some kind of event happening to affect the animals. And uh, then you just go on. At the end, after everyone's taking a turn, you finish up the year. And based on player count, after a certain number of years, you uh, have to see if you've influenced at least four of these ambassadors, met whatever their uh, goal is to get them to vote yes. And that's the basics of the game. Cool. So for those of you joining us for the first time, thank you. And what we do here is we talk about the top five things we think about the game, starting with number five and working our way all the way up to number one. Five being the least important thing we think you need to know about it and one being the most important. So, Jason, as our guest, why don't you start us off? What's your number five thing about Endangered? I tend to put my number five as noting the components. Mike was mentioning that you're saving animals. They're actually like little wooden, you know, representations of tigers. So, like, you have like 16 tigers, you know, 10 are on the board at the same time. Sometimes they spawn, you get more. And then they, uh, the poor deforestation and they, you know, oh, it's a sad event when uh, we lose a tiger and all that, uh, or an otter or whatever it is. Uh, the, the, they're very simple, but they really could have, in a game like this, gotten away with just like, you know, kind of more abstract tokens and such. But uh, it's basic, but, you know, you get meeples for it. And like every one of the scenarios, like you can buy the panda right now and get little pandas. And on the expansion, you can get uh, like condors and all sorts of other things. And they're going to get meeples for every single one. A little bit, quote unquote, wasteful. But I think in terms of a, a, a creating access for this family weight game, and it's a family weight game. Uh, you know, this is not heavy <laughs> in no. the slightest. No, <laughs> definitely not. <laughs> this is maybe a two uh, on the scale. So you have so in order because the like deep mechanisms aren't the draw, you need some pop. 
to get your young ones to get to get your family to play to get to create some emotional attachment and just the little nod of having of going the extra length like every single scenario has their own impact cards and their own little meatballs and just it creates enough of that draw where someone will pass by you're playing and they go ooh what's that which is I think is important you know I think some family weight games they like like I feel like you mentioned Roll for Adventure, right? Like Roll for Adventure is another two-way game, but it's dice. They don't really do a lot else to kind of create that extra draw. You're just rolling dice. Here, they liven it up a little bit. So I really appreciated that. So just announcing that this is a family weight game, which we didn't tell the audience this is a family weight game. <laughs> if you're oh, yeah, that, a that's going to come up quite a bit in my review for sure. <laughs> uh, so yes, number five, uh, cool, catchy components. You know, it's interesting. It's not in my list, but... I'm going to talk about that family weight because I don't want to scare away gamers from this game because I have a little bit of a different take on that. That'll be in my final thoughts, though. It's not any of my points. Yep. Uh, I mean, it's certainly lighter, but I, I don't know that it's necessarily family weight. So we'll we can debate that later, though. Well, I don't like like it's not a one like one is not simple like but a two is like, you know, a forbidden island, maybe. I think it's got more going on than that personally. But okay. again, that's something we can debate later on uh, in our final thoughts, I think. So my number five is to jump in. It's a positive for the game for me, and that's uh, the unique characters that you control in the games, kind of your avatars. So in the core game, there's uh, five of them, I think. And nice little touch. They have these little character boards, and you can flip between a man and a woman. And they have a really nice uh, ethnic diversity as well. Like, clearly, it's an international effort to save these animals based on these characters. And... They could have just done the basic thing and had like, you know, kind of pandemic style where they each have just a single power, but they go uh, quite a few steps beyond that. They have uh, two powers for each class type, and you might want to pick a different one based on uh, which animal you're trying to save and how easy you want the game to be. And then they each have a deck. Now, the deck is a little bit of a letdown if you're expecting fully unique cards, because I think it's 14 or 15 cards, or maybe 16, and only four of them are unique to that character. The other 12 are exactly the same for every character class. So it still gives them a little bit of a special feeling, like uh, the lawyer is good at doing this kind of stuff, and the environmental like person is good at doing that kind of stuff. So it works, uh, but it's only my number five because of that uh, redundancy in the decks. If they had had like fully unique decks, this would have uh, impressed me even more. and might have been down to like my four or three, but I still enjoy it. I like that I can get a different feel to the game uh, based on which character I pick and which uh, powers I choose for that character. All right. So I broke the rules of our list making, which I've done a couple times lately. I figure we got three people and there aren't going to be that many things to talk about and we overlap a lot so instead of doing my top five things to know about the game i did my top five games that this reminds me of oh interesting it's kind of a thinly veiled excuse to really get into these points because each one of them is associated with one point about the game so really it's the same thing i'm just doing it in a different veneer so my number five is rescue polar bears Mm. And I actually thought about using Freedom Underground Railroad here, and that's because I equate it because of the theme. It is a theme that you'd see that's trying to make a social statement. And I mean, rescue polar bears, there's obviously a connection and rescue polar bears are going out. You're trying to rescue polar bears, basically, while the island is sinking. Well, here there's deforestation happening and bad stuff happening in the environment. And you're trying to save the animals in different ways. You're not necessarily grabbing them, picking them up with a helicopter and taking them off. But you are trying to save them by doing this political actions where you're politically trying to you know, make a statement and get people to vote yes for for saving this endangered species. So 
that's my number five is rescue polar bears because the theme. Now, do you think that theme is well done? Yeah, no, I think it's really well done. I mean, the nice part is every animal you're trying to rescue is very different where you feel like you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. Nice. All right, Jason, how about your number four? Yeah, it took number four right out of my mouth. <laughs> As Peter said, there's going to be overlap. I won't say too much. The hero decks um, generally a mix for me because I was disappointed that each each of the decks are basically the same. Again, they want like a younger audience to get into it so that you don't want like because if you have like the unique decks, you're going to have like 16 unique cards and yeah. you sitting there reading and you don't want that. You like you want to get a family into this and playing quickly so like every everybody has the card okay play this card now you have an action space get two million everybody has that card which by the way i think that was a little bit of a wrinkle when you play cards it isn't just that you play cards and they're one shots or whatever like you're actually creating action spaces on the board to go to so that's a strategy of the game of you know do you want to play your one shot or do you want to just kind of do the action that you have or do you want to use your deck to expand the action pool so that you don't get into each other's way when you're placing dice. That was neat. And it's not like revolutionary or anything, but I thought it was kind of a neat gamery wrinkle for families to enjoy. Yeah. And I'm going to come back to that later because that is kind of an addition in terms of these uh, player cards. But my number four, uh, Peter mentioned it, is the ambassadors, which kind of uh, are your core goal for the end game because you're trying to keep the animals alive but in the end, if you can't get that legislation or that UN resolution or whatever it happens to be passed to actually like protect them for the long term future, then it's uh, not going to matter much that you happen to save like five uh, panda bears today. So this uh, just to kind of steal Peter's thing, uh, this is very similar for me, at least to Salvation Road, uh, our first published design with Van Ryder and how the end game works there. Because these ambassadors start out uh, unrevealed. They're all face down. There's six of them. And again, you have to get at least four of them on normal difficulty. And you need to take actions to put influence cubes on them. And whenever you do that, you get to also flip them and see what they're actually going for. And there'll be things like, uh, I want uh, 10 points for this ambassador to vote yes. And that's uh, the number of cubes plus the number of animals alive on the board. Or uh, this one wants the number of cubes plus the number of cards you have in play. So I like this a lot. It gives a little bit of a lack of surety and a variety to each game. And it also pushes you in different directions because like this game, maybe it might be really important for you to keep cards in your hand. Uh, this next game, maybe you really want a ton of money. So things gain different values, kind of the strategies change, even if you're playing with the same animals. So I, I think it's really cool. But again, I'm biased because we used a similar mechanism in the game we designed. So I already think it's good. <laughs> <laughs> You guys have done how many episodes? About 150 plus. Uh, how many episodes have you mentioned Salvation Road, do you think? Wait, 149. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> but for real, I would say probably, I don't know, five, ten? Nah. So Someone out there, some intrepid uh, co-op MVP or something like that. Go ahead and track that down uh, for Peter's uh, love of trivia. What, what are you thinking? Like 30? <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go over under 40. <laughs> okay. <laughs> You might be well, right. don't you forget, might be right. we only did about half those episodes, so you might be pushing high there. So, Peter, what's your uh, number four? So, my number four is Cthulhu Death May Die. And I actually had Pandemic originally for this, and this refers to the characters in the game. Uh, so, basically what you guys have been talking about already. And I was like, no, it's not like Pandemic with the characters, because there's a little bit more going on. Yes, you've got that one little special uh, power, but I do think there's stuff going on in the deck that does make each character feel different when you're playing them. Yes, it might only be four cards, but four out of 12 or 16 cards is still a 
pretty substantial portion that feel different. And not only that, but I think you need those basic cards in there because characters similar to a game like Pandemic do need to kind of do everything. And so having those cards where just because I'm the money person doesn't mean I only have money cards in my deck. And that's important because, you know, if you're not playing with that character, you still need to be able to do actions that get you money. So I don't know. I said Cthulhu Death May Die because I think like that game, each character does feel different. But at the same time, you know, we kind of made that a mix for us because while they all feel different, you know, there are a lot of paths with each character that are the same. So for me, it felt kind of like that because, yes, there's some generic stuff in there, but I think there's enough to make each character feel a little bit different from each other. Mm-hmm. All right, Jason, back to you. All right, so uh, my number three is the difference in the area design. So you only get two in the base games. You get the Tigers and the Sea Otters, and then you can purchase the Pandas. I think that was like a Kickstarter extra, and then they ended up there. I think it's available on the website, and you can definitely add it in your pledge manager if you pledge for the expansion. A mix for me, I think the positive is the way the scenario plays out is actually kind of thematic for a very simple game in the sense that like, you know, the tigers, the, you know, the deforestation is kind of coming in from all over the place and the way the, so it, in the way the impact deck, which is the event deck, which are tuned to each scenario plays out where, you know, you get a card and then like this other card, tiger sighting will trigger the, the, the impacts that are there. Great. You know, um, so that's kind of a basic setup. And then you have the sea otters works differently at least in the board where it's like instead of deforestation which is these negative spaces appearing everywhere now they're appearing from like the ocean like the left side of the board and they're kind of creeping in and they appear at a faster rate uh so i could definitely like i got actually got into the sea otter one because you could get that thematic sense of oil just kind of pushing and pushing and then the impact deck kind of gives you more (laughs) more oil so it's like you know it's kind of gushing and that the mess thematic that was cool the the bottom side is it doesn't really change the the basic puzzle the same the puzzle's the same no matter how the tiles act Uh, you know you're still kind of doing the same things in terms of getting money and you know influencing the ambassadors doesn't really change what you're doing so like the scenarios were kind of the same ish it sounds like the further scenarios kind of push the mechanics in different directions i really think that's kind of necessary to get everything you want out of this game and that's a tough thing because like you know it's a family game you know do you want to spend you know upwards of a hundred bucks filling on all the scenarios that's kind of you know you have to kind of decide that you know between this and the expansion but i think the game realizes itself with a lot of different scenarios I think the two that are in the base box don't offer quite enough variety. And that's the selling point of this game is the animals and, you know, being in that headspace of like saving animals. So you want a variety of animals. Uh, so, you know, I, I wish they had found a way to include a little bit more in the base box, but it's a Kickstarter. They didn't really know if it was going to hit. And judging by the success of the Kickstarter, it seems like it has. So I'm hoping that they kind of bundle it together a little bit better, kind of moving forward. Yeah. And I, uh, I agree with you fully. I'll talk about that in a little bit. But my number three, uh, another positive for me, is the the birth and the destruction. The two phases kind of like after you take your action phase. I think uh, the and, – and actually, it, it's funny you mentioned Rescue Polar Bears, Peter, because I didn't remember that game at all when I was playing this. But there are a lot of similarities in that you have to kind of like set up the chance for them to have babies. And like there's a lot of tactical maneuvering to try to rescue them from the uh, things coming to get them and like just the uh, destruction of their environment. And this game has that too. And I think uh, the the movement of the animals, because uh, for those who don't know, you need to get them into pairs to uh, have a better chance of having offspring and build your numbers up. But 
uh, generally speaking, when you get them into pairs, you also imperil them more because if that space happens to be the one that gets hit by destruction, you're losing two animals instead of one. And uh, like Jason said, they do have kind of like fun differences in how that stuff plays out, how the destruction comes out, and even the uh, impact decks differently kind of impact the destruction and what's happening with it. So I liked all of that and kind of uh, previewing our design discussion, but this is definitely a game that for like me and my family playing it got into that emotional kind of attachment. Mm -hmm. And even uh, to what Jason said back in his number five, like these cute meeples representing like real animals that you know, we know are actually in peril and they do a nice job on like the impact cards of giving you facts and like data about these animals and like what their situation is. I think they really brought the theme in well there. It it made this whole like offspring and destruction part of the game really hit me sometimes. Like, you know, I I was like very loath to do anything, even if it was not, you know, even if ignoring the animals would win me the game, I was like, well, I don't want to let these animals die. I got to get them away. I got to help them like increase their numbers. So I thought they did a really good job. And I kind of like the mix of uh, tactical and thematic gameplay there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I knew there was going to be a lot of overlap on this list. Um, Cause my number three is very similar to Jason's, but the game I'm relating this to is Aeon's end. And the best thing about Aeon's end in my mind is how differently each of the bosses play And I felt that way here as well. I felt like the bosses here or the not bosses, but different animals that you're trying to rescue here really felt different when you played them. Not only do they have, you know, just a few different mechanics, but those few mechanics they change really make it feel different. And even when you scale difficulty, if you look on the back of each of these scenarios, depending on what animal you're trying to rescue, they have different easy, medium, and hard as well. And sometimes they overlap, but sometimes they don't. They have different things. You get might get bonuses or more different penalties based on how high you want to ramp up the difficulty. So I really thought it was neat how they did that. And the one thing I'll say also that reminded me of Aeon's End is that boss deck where you're flipping over cards, some of them stay in play and threaten you in different ways. And some of them are instant effects that happen right away. Some of those effects might be good. Some might be bad. Typically it's bad, obviously, but depending on how hard some of the stuff is for the scenario, they can change difficulty there too, by giving you bonuses during that phase as well. So I just liked how some bosses had a lot of stuff in play and it you know, triggered every turn. Other bosses had a lot of stuff in play and it only triggered when certain cards came out to trigger it. I thought they did a really neat job. And one of my favorite part about the boss decks, and this kind of goes back to theme a little bit, I actually read every thematic thing that was on those. And I don't do that a lot in games. You know, a lot of times the first time through, I might look at it a little bit, but I read every single one of those cards and I found out more myself. So I think it was actually very educational in that way. And I read them out loud to my kids too, just to make sure that they knew what was going on as well. So I think it does a good job of being thematic, but also educational with those boss cards. And I I really just liked how that worked. And uh, it reminded me a lot of how it's done in Aeon's End as well. Cool. All right. Let's see how much more we can overlap. Jason, you're number two. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So my number two is... There's different types of cooperative games, like you have, um, you know, kind of limited information cooperative games where, you know, like Kanabi and kind of going back and forth. Um, and then there's like the puzzle co-op. And this is definitely in the vein of a puzzle co-op. And puzzle co-ops are generally solo games. <laughs> they, and you have to kind of invent the reason for other people to participate and do something. And you also introduce it like in a cooperative way. You don't just want people collaborating and talking. You want action on the board, you know, inter- you know actual game stuff to happen where people influence the board differently. And the way they accomplish that, or the way they at least try to, is the dice. 
and the dice placement and how, as, as Mike was saying uh, at the beginning of the episode, you know, so you roll your dice and then you place your dice on the action spaces and the, the subsequent person has to place a higher value die in order to be able to go to that space. So that was a good little way of creating cooperation. So it's like, I roll the dice. Oh my God, in the first play, I rolled a two fives and a six. So now you have to actually talk to your people. It's like, okay, who needs to do what? Uh, who needs to play a card? If you need to play a card, I'm not going to go to this space in my five because that means that you can't go to this space and play the card. So it was not a neat little way of creating co-op, actual cooperation because now you're planning. And it, this could have just been a puzzly solo game that like multiple people participate in, but they they went an extra step and created good family way. Again, that term again, um, good simple cooperation that a, a family can understand. Is it perfect? Not really. If you observe in my playthrough, I played a two player game, and I was really able to put out a lot of action cards, and therefore kind of not get in the two players' way. It's like I could kind of do whatever I wanted. So at, a, at least that two player kind of falls off. But at, a, at three and four, you're getting in each other's way. You can't do everything. So you have to be smart about who can do what. And I found that was pretty, uh, that, that was a pretty cool experience. So generally positive. Well, Jason, you're going to make uh, my uh, last two very quick to say, because uh, right. <laughs> my number two is the animal variety. And I'll just say, I totally agree with Jason that uh, they did a pretty good job. The value is maybe a little questionable, I mean, you know, I guess if I look at like Pandemic or Forbidden Island as family weight games, like they will always be the same. And it's like they have different scenarios in the base box. So even having two scenarios is more than one. But at the same time, the game is kind of selling itself on the variety. And like with the giant panda expansion, it's selling itself on that variety. So the fact that you only get two and then can spend like, I think an extra 15 bucks is what I paid for the giant pandas. Uh, get three animals is okay. I'm certainly all in for the expansion on Kickstarter because... Well, you know, kind of spoiler for my final thoughts. My family and I are really enjoying this one, but I, I want like 10 more animals. And that's that, that's the nice thing. They, they clearly got that message. The Kickstarter is like all new animals. <laughs> they have like a few of extra of the other things, but it's like, yes, it's basically all animals all the time. But yeah, I, I do want to also say I totally agree with Peter, even more, I think, than Jason was saying that I think the animals do feel different. I think the impact decks are very different. The Tigers have kind of like these cards that stay in play, and then they have these combo cards that activate all of them. Whereas uh, the Sea Otters, they have way worse destruction. It's doubled in speed, but the impact deck is largely positive. Like almost 50% of the cards are helpful cards. So I I felt very different playing them. But again, the value question is definitely going to be the sticking point here. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I didn't mention that when I talked about how it's like Anne's and the boss discussion, but I agree with you guys both that I wish there were more bosses in the base game. Bosses? You're not you're not killing the animals, are you, Peter? That's not, <laughs> Dang that's it. Not really... I, I keep calling them bosses. You're right. Different animals. You know me. I'm very thematic. That's all that matters to me is theme. When you're comparing stuff to like Cthulhu Death May Die and Aeon's End, of course you're going to be like, oh, well, the, the boss of the jungle, the <laughs> Well, and speaking of comparing it to Death and Destruction, my next one is Flashpoint <laughs> Fire Rescue. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that is because of how the uh, bad tiles come onto the board. So the corruption tiles, when you play Flashpoint, you're adding smoke and fire to the board. You're rolling two dice. You're matching the row and column and adding either smoke or fire there. Well, here it's very different based on the 
animal, but so far the way it's mostly been is you choose either a row or a column with one of your animals and you roll one dice. So you have a little bit more control over it here, which is both better and worse I found. So especially in that giant panda bear, because you're doing two in the panda bear one as well, you're adding two destruction tiles. Yeah. So the puzzle to which row or column you want to go is interesting. And I've often found myself in the game moving animals just so I can select certain rows to roll that deforestation in. So I just like how you add the bad stuff to the game. It reminds me a lot of Flashpoint Fire Rescue. You have, you know, probably a one in six chance at first. And then the more and more stuff that happens on the board, the worse and worse it gets for you because that deforestation's closer and closer. And if you roll something you already have, it just kind of creeps in toward the animals you have on the board. So, you know, it goes from one in six chance of destroying that animal to one in three chance of doing it. So I I like how that accelerates as the board gets more and more filled with the corruption. All right, Jason, hit us with your final, uh, not your final thoughts, your, your number one point. So unlike Peter, who nods and waves his hand towards a theme, I'm a theme-first uh, gamer. If you, listen, uh, if you watch my playthroughs, I'm role-playing my, <laughs> my heart out uh, on any playthrough that, I'm, uh, that I've made or, or will make. That's just kind of my That's right. Didn't you, uh, didn't you name the characters in your endangered playthrough? I did. Uh, anybody who has <laughs> read The Expanse uh, or watched the TV show, which is now on Amazon. I love The Expanse. I didn't even <laughs> – I feel stupid for not recognizing it now. <laughs> uh, Avarsala is the um, the Indian. I believe she's Indian heritage in the in the books. Uh, she's like you know some wise cracking you know uh, ambassador person, and then Jim Holden is the ship captain. So I kind of like role played that out in the game, and I actually got noted for that in the by the the designers. They were like, "Oh wow, no one ever thought to name them." <laughs> it's like, why not? <laughs> this is a play it up, people. Okay, so theme. Yes, Peter mentioned it as number five. And I think the specific thing that I want to say about the theme is that every cooperative game, like I said, one number two, you have to come up with actual cooperation. You can't just like kind of put a puzzle out and tell people to solve it. So that's, they did pretty good there. Here with the theme, what a game needs to do in a cooperative, in a cooperative space is I feel balance short-term and long-term. So like short-term crises and then the long-term goal and wrap a theme around that. So it's like, you know, uh, do I cure, cure this cube now or you know, search for a cure and like run away from uh, and, and do whatever. And I feel like that was very well integrated. And ultimately, this is where I'm going to get a positive review. It's very positive uh, for me because you know you have that tension of like, okay, I have tigers over here, or I have animals, and they need to be saved. And I'm have I'm pretty like you know you have that instinct to be like, oh, you know, I have to save all the animals. But then you're looking at those longer term goals. Hopefully, you've uncovered them throughout the course of the game. And it's like, man, I'm really far away from that. I have to put the my action space on an influence. But that tiger is gonna die. No. <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, tension-wise, it's great. It's a good thematic headspace. Anybody who's done environmental work, you know, I mean, that's a thing, you know, especially, you know, if you're a ground-level worker, you get real, you know, it's all about saving, you know, the animals or saving, you know, the inner city kids or like whoever you're helping. And then you like lose patience for the the high muckety-mucks who are the funders and everything. And, you know, on the other side, the same things. Like, you know, there's a lot of people who kind of like have their mind towards the, the high funding. You can't do anything about funding. And then they kind of lose the, the, the what you're, they're actually doing. And having being challenged to balance that in such a simple, accessible way was so cool. 
And it's, it's, it's the star of the show for me. Great theme integration, good long-term, short-term kind of balance, tension. Just for that reason alone, this game is going to get a big thumbs up for me. Nice, man. Yeah, well, I never really touched on theme in any of my five points. My number one is going back to your number two, uh, Jason, and the dice placement and kind of the cooperation that comes out of that. And like you, I'll say that this is kind of a mixed bag, although I'm mostly positive. I, I have to assume, <laughs> just playing this game, I have to assume they had an iteration where there were no dice and people just took three actions a turn. I can totally imagine that. And the dice do feel a little tacked on. But like Jason said, they are pretty much the major kind of impetus for player-to-player communication. Mm-hmm. And so I like that. You know, uh, it, you get more communication in this game than you would in something like Pandemic, where besides somebody being like, hey, I need you to come get me a card, you're basically just kind of doing your thing and going around and curing diseases in like the potentially obvious way. So I, I like what they did here. And I also like that the cards come out and kind of increase the actions. So you have very few options at first. It's really like easy to get into. Even for my son, it was like super simple. But then like as more actions come out and some of them unique to those characters, you kind of expand the possibilities for what you can do on your turn. I like all of that. Uh, the only negatives are, like Jason said, if you get too many action cards out and hey, they're cool, why wouldn't you want to do that? Suddenly you lose all the tension. You don't need that cooperation as much anymore because you can all do your own thing and there's no real cost to it. And the other thing is, uh, I've played this game two-player more than any other, and two-player is is its weakest suit on multiple levels because number one, that dice puzzle is less interesting. But a really big mistake, I'm not sure why they did this, they made it uh, such that uh, the player order is chosen each turn. Like you, uh, you, you, you get the last player to pick the first player and it can't be them. But besides that, it's free form. So like Peter could go uh, first, then Jason, then me. But the next round, Jason goes first, then me, and then Peter. Like we can kind of choose who we want to go first each round. Like that's cool. In two player though, the way the rules work as written is I am always the first player and you are always the second player or vice versa in the two player game, which means one player always has the, I want to place all my low numbers because you're going to place after me. And the other player always has the, I'm going to place my high numbers later. So, Hey, variant it up just switch up who's first player each round and don't follow the rules as written. And I think you'll have a better time, but two player, at least in terms of the action placement is certainly this game's weak suit. I still think it's fun two player, but it's not as fun because of the dice. That's definitely not. Is that actually true though? I thought at the beginning of each year, you reset that and you, you know, you decide as a group. No, no. So so it says the, the last player to act chooses the first player for the next round and it cannot be them. And then they even specify in the rules for two player, you will just alternate turns for the entire game. All right. Well, I did not do that at all. Well, that's just, fine. And, and, and that's, yeah, like I said, you shouldn't do it. But if you play rules as written, if you're a stickler for that, uh, it's a worse two player experience than it should be. Yeah, no, no, no. I mean, I think part of the fun part of the puzzle is picking who's going to be first for the round. Absolutely. And then having them select from then on, you know, who's going to be going next in the round uh, or just making it as a group decision, which is typically what I did when we played. All right. So, Peter, what's your number one to finish this up? So what game do you think this is most like? I was I would have said Rescue Polar Bears, honestly, but you already gave that one. Marvel Champions. What? What? The reason this game reminds me of Marvel Champions is exactly what Jason said. I think this is the strong point of the game. It's do you focus long term versus short term? And I actually had a third one too, and I think Marvel Champions, and I know Marvel Champions has this, and that is the engine building part of it too. So do you want to focus long term? Do you want to put 
influence on those different ambassadors? Do you focus short term? Do you get rid of some of the threats that are facing your animals or putting them in breeding pairs so you can get them ready? Or do you focus on your engine where you're building cards in that action row or cards? You even can have cards in your personal area that are personal actions that you can do later. So I love when games do this. I mean, every co-op game has this to some degree, but some do it better than others. And I think this one did it really well. I think it was a really hard choice between do I focus on my immediate threats and it's going to vary turn to turn and it's going to vary game to game. The other reason I think it's a lot like Marvel Champions is the dice system, which we talked about. So I kind of combine those two. Yes, there's no dice in Marvel Champions. I'm well aware of that. But you (laughs) you have choices every turn based on limitations, right? So for Marvel Champions, you have a hand of cards. Which cards are you discarding to do other things? Here, you have a certain set of dice that are very limited and you have limited action spaces on the board based on what other people have put on the board. And they don't clear from round to round. So when you start a new year, the only person that clears their dice from the board is the player whose turn it is. And so those dice are always on the board from round to round. And so you have a very limited set of actions that you can choose from. I mean, like Mike said, sometimes it's more open than others, but I just like all those choices put together, I think really leads to a very satisfying system. It's your podcast. If you want to compare every game to Marvel champions, you go right ahead. <laughs> so did, did, did like the Hulk come in and just, you know, destroy those uh, deforesting like uh, cutters and things down? Cause well, no, no, they're bosses. Don't forget they're bosses. There's no enemies in there. There's no uh, species. Oh, that's right, that's right. so, so, so Peter brought in Hawkeye to shoot some uh, tigers, right? Good job. Yes. Peter. Yes. So the five <laughs> games that, that this is most like are rescue polar bears, Cthulhu death may die. Aeon's end flashpoint fire rescue and Marvel champion. You're welcome. <laughs> All right. Uh, Cool. So, Jason, final thoughts. Uh, I know you already previewed it a bit, but final thoughts on Endangered. Excellent game. Be aware of what you're getting into in terms of, you know, this isn't going to be the most strategically rich. You're here for the the cool headspace of it. You're here for the, you know, saving animals and that short-term, long-term, which I think is so delicious in this game. Dice are fun. It's a draw for younger people, you know, because of the animals and because of the, the kind of entryway of it. I think the scenarios are great. And I think that, you know, just because I like the game so much, I'm definitely going to look into getting those different scenarios. Uh, I don't think, no, there's a lot of value in the base box. You know, not every game needs a bunch of scenarios, but I think this one does just to get the most out of the system and out of the experience. So, you know, uh, without, aside from that one asterisk, I really enjoyed Endangered. It's staying in my collection. Yeah, and I'll also say I really enjoyed it staying in my collection for now. Uh, it helped that my son and my wife both were big fans of this one, both kind of like thematically and uh, actually playing it. But asterisks like uh, Jason had, I don't think it's a heavy like gamer weight game. I also don't think, like we already said, that the dice placement puzzle is like a strong puzzle. If, if you're coming into it looking for something like I mean, there's not a heavy game, but something like one deck dungeon where like you're kind of comboing how your dice go and like manipulating them in a lot of ways. This game is not that at all. The dice are just a minor addition to like basic action taking. So, you know, to come in with the right mindset there. And yeah, just be aware the value isn't great, but my, my family loved it. And I know Peter is apparently going to say that it might not be great for kids, but my seven-year-old ate this game up, had no difficulty. I didn't even have to like help him on his turn. He was doing cool actions, making good choices. I had no trouble with the game at all. So for me, at least, it's a great family weight game. Uh, if you have non-gamers, if you have kids, uh, or even if you just want something kind of like light and fun with an important theme, I think this one is definitely one I recommend. 
just maybe consider whether you want to go big. And I think the Kickstarter has a level for the core game and the expansion. If you get all of that, you'll have all the gameplay you need for a long time. Yeah, obviously, I had a lot of fun with this one. And I compared it to a lot of games that, you know, obviously, people wouldn't typically think of as being related to it. But I do think that it has a lot of cool mechanisms in it. Is it as good as any of those games? I mean, not in my mind. I like all of those games more. You guys keep saying family weight game, and I'm not disagreeing because I don't think kids can play it. I absolutely think kids can play it. My objection to that is I also think it's a good game that you could pull out on game night. I think the puzzle is rich enough. I disagree with Mike that the dice don't mean anything. You know, the game that dice didn't mean anything to me was set a watch. Like those dice didn't matter because you had all those special powers. And so oh, that's they, true. <laughs> like, I don't disagree <laughs> with you on that one. <laughs> for, for that, they didn't feel like they meant anything. I thought the puzzle was neat. Now, maybe it's because I wasn't playing rules as written as far as, you know, making sure that the same person went first every round in a two-player game. I wouldn't have liked that as much. I like the puzzle of figuring out who needs to go next. Where do we want to go with our actions next? Who's the best player to start the round? Who do we want to finish the round? So I thought there was a lot more of a puzzle in there than you guys did, I guess. Um, maybe it's my my lack of intelligence while playing this game. But, you know, I... <laughs> I thought there was a lot more of a puzzle there than you did. I didn't think it was just some light. I mean, no way it was as as light as Forbidden Island in my mind, where you basically have four actions in the entire game. And I love that game. But, you know, I I felt like there were a lot more choices here. As you added more actions to the board, I felt like you opened up the possibilities. I like that you can play actions to the board and then play them on your turn. So I thought there were some interesting decisions there. I thought there was a lot more to it than what you guys are saying as far as family weight, but obviously I liked it as well and certainly think it's a great game that you can play with your family, but could also be enjoyed with gamers. All right. So uh, there we go. That's Endangered. It sounds like a a recommendation from all of us. So definitely a fun one. Just make sure the value is okay with you and I think you'll be good to go. So uh, uh, what do we think about games that have themes that are very closely tied to real life Uh, especially games that seem to have kind of a message to them or like a theme statement or like some kind of action they're trying to encourage. When do we think that's successful or not? Do we think it's problematic? So uh, why don't one of you start? Because I kind of talked about this in a different sort of way with Liz Davidson when we did our war game episode. Peter, what do you think about this topic? You know, for me, it's there, there are definitely considerations you have to take. Do Is this my favorite kind of thing? I mean, if you've heard from me in the past, you know that it's not. Games like Detective, a modern board game. I didn't like that game because they added too much, you know, modern theme into it. Theme that I didn't care about. Although Freedom, the Underground Railroad, I felt very differently about. So I think it can be done well and I think it can be done poorly. I think if you're, you know, pushing too hard, I think that's where it falls off for me. But if it's something where it's the backdrop, it's the theme, but yet they integrate it well. I think it can be done really well and increase your enjoyment of the game too. So typically it's not my go-to place, but I I like it in certain situations and I can't pick out which ones I like more or less and why. I absolutely want more games that make me care. I'm not a person that thinks that games are just games. I I find that I, I feel that games are important cultural products and, you know, they're reflective of the time. They're reflective of attitudes. I think that if you're not careful, you can make a game, and especially in, like, the historical space. But, you know, in, a, in an environmental space, too, you can make – like, you know, you, you make games and, like, uh, whatchamacallit, like, you play a game like Catan. And what do you do in a Catan? You're, like, you know, just, like, sawing down wood and <laughs> make a road. And you, you can think about that. And it's like, okay, not – it doesn't really – 
make an impression that you're kind of, you know, building a town and whatever, but, and you're like, you're kind of like making a road and, you know, wherever you want. But if you really kind of think about it and you have that mind towards an environmental mind, it's like, oh my God, what is this game romanticizing? What is this game kind of papering over? So not that I don't want Catan to exist, absolutely not, but like to have like games like Endangered, games like Rescue Polar Bears as a counterweight to remind you that games can also not just kind of like paper over some of the important stuff, but can highlight stuff. And like as Mike was saying, do it in kind of a poignant way, like make you care, you know, like when, when there's, when deforestation hits and your animals are threatened, like you can really get the tension going and the meeples really help, you know, especially in an animal game. Like I, I definitely agree with in Freedom of the Underground Railroad or even a game like Costume Negotiator, like you want those victims, quote unquote, to be as faceless as possible so <laughs> you don't get emo- too emotionally into it. But when it, it comes to like animals, we we can definitely kind of access a different emotional space where you want those meeples, you want that attachment, and you want that tension of like, oh man, you know, I'm really making big decisions, and it it's a hop, skip, and a jump from a good game experience to something that actually resonates in real life, so like you know, saving polar bears and you know, doing all that other stuff. So it's a good counterweight to games that in traditionally kind of really ignore this stuff. And I'm glad that in the family sphere, like, you know, kind of like the light gamer sphere, they're they're figuring more and more ways to do that. Yeah, and I'll jump in just kind of with that war game side. This is such a a fraught topic for war games because a lot of them kind of pride themselves on historical accuracy, you know, and will have deep playbooks that kind of go through the history of it. And in that aspect, I really like that. Like uh, I did a Gandhi decolonization of British India on the channel recently. And I didn't know a lot about that. Like we covered just the very basics in my world history class way back when and kind of seeing the different uh, factions and where they agreed and disagreed and like these horrible events that I'd never heard of, these massacres and all these things like that's it got me more interested and made me want to read more about it. I, I like that side of things. But then, you know, there is that danger and, and none of the games you all have discussed yet to do this, like Rescue Polar Bears, you're on you know, kind of the ethically, morally good side, you know, endangered, you're on the good side. But kind of uh, with what you were saying about Catan, Jason, if it's a game, you know, and you're controlling the Germans, and you're getting attached to Nazi soldiers, and getting upset when your Nazi soldiers are killed, because they didn't get to like bomb this next city. I don't know, clearly, people can separate theme from reality. And also these are historic events that are very separate from our modern day. But as we see with Black Lives Matter and like a lot of events aren't as separate as we like to think they are. You know, like Freedom is one that I think is is a fabulous game and I had a very emotional response to. But I could also see like maybe it's problematic, like maybe making this. Could it make it too normalized? Could it make it too easy for me to sign off? Like if I play Endangered, can I be like, well... I really cared about those animals and I've done my part now. And like, could it discourage real action? You know, I don't know. I I see the possibility for some negatives out of these things, but like you, Jason, I'm really happy with these games existing. I'm also generally fine with war games. And and honestly, I'll say I like war games more when they provide the information so you can see what the details are and not just kind of drop you into some campaign where you're like a German tank battalion commander and just be like, Hey, go kill people. And like, you don't know anything about the context of what you're doing. Yeah, I think it's a slippery slope, certainly. And I'm not telling anybody what they should or shouldn't do with their art for for sure. I mean, you can go as far down the rabbit hole as you want, but just realize 
people are going to judge your work. And for me, I guess if you want to get your point across, it's easier to do it in a more subtle way. If you make a fun game that people enjoy playing, they're going to learn more from that. You know, like Endangered that we played today. I looked into and read every single card that was on there. They weren't throwing it in your face. Hey, this card is this way because of whatever. But they taught me a little something about what was going on while playing. If they just shoved it in my face, I I think I would not have been as likely to enjoy the game and I wouldn't have continued to play it. And so I wouldn't have dived as deeply into the theme, if that makes sense. I think it's like also from like a design perspective, you have to be really careful about how you implement the seriousness of the theme. So like, I, I think you, we were talking about this before on, on another day, Mike, about how your play style tended towards saving animals because that's what you would want to do is saving animals. And yet the game is designed to not punish, but like make you regret it. <laughs> <It's just> that- <laughs> In the sense that you fall behind, right? Like if you if you do too much to save the animals. Like I remember when I first played the very first, my very first play, my, that was my first instinct. I'm moving the tigers together. I have eight mating pairs and there's <laughs> I'm like tigers all over the place. And it's like, oh, wow, I'm really behind in these long-term goals. And, you know, it, it definitely, like you have to be careful with it. But I feel like this game in particular did a really good job of putting you in that emotional space and then making it kind of poignant of what you're doing. And, you know, so first of all, saving the animals and, and making them flourish and everything, that was a good investment and, and poignant. And then giving that, okay, so if you get too invested in this, then it's going to cost you on the other on this other part of the game. I love that. And I think Rescue Polar Bears in a way had that too. It was a little bit more cartoony in Rescue Polar Bears because like all of the bears are going to die. <laughs> like they're all going to get lost. And just like that, every time you play that game, bears just go away. So maybe that was a little bit more jarring. And I, and in terms of like making it um, like creating that mental separation, I think rescue polar bears, it's a little bit more comical because they die every single time. Like yeah. you're going to have like one polar bear left at every single game. <laughs> <you play. laughs> so maybe that like, okay. Well, hey, so maybe, maybe, maybe that's that, the statement maybe. in itself, right? <laughs> Yeah. So like, that's the game, like part of the thing is like, you know, the ice cap is melting. We're going to lose all these polar bears. So maybe that's part of what the game wanted to say. Uh, I guess the point being like, okay, if that's what the game wanted to say, then that's, then that's whatever. Make sure your game says what you want it to say. Yeah. I don't know that that one had a statement really. Of course it did. Like read the booklet. They're talking about like that, like they really like the booklet actually says they wanted to highlight the melting ice caps. And like, you know, draw attention to it. And like, you know, when that like the helicopters are specifically from they're just, they're not just like random like escape mechanism that's like, okay, these are rescue uh helicopters from, you know, whatever the agency or whatever it is. So they did really put thought and like they really did want the the player to think about melting ice caps and what that means and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, see, I didn't get that at all from that game. And I mean, I I didn't, just to be clear also, I didn't think that was nearly as good a game as Endangered is. I think the the same thoughts are there, but I think Endangered did it way better for me, at least anyway. Right, yeah, I guess that's what I'm saying, yeah. Yeah, and same with the thematic integration. Like you said, it was almost comical. I I don't even understand. Like, the the ice caps were melting so fast that boats couldn't get there before it. Like, it was obviously abstracted Mm -hmm. a lot in that game. Um, Whereas here, I felt like the deforestation happening and, like, planting trees, I I felt like it was a longer time frame. Right. And and it was abstracted that way. Whereas, you know, when you're moving a boat one space at a time, to me, you're, you're abstracting some things and not others. So I don't know where your theme is. And I don't feel it as strongly. 
And then, like, so compared again to a, the, a, a game like Freedom, the Underground Rebel, like, they, it game really makes you care. Oh, yeah. And so, if I know, I don't know, have you guys, you guys haven't covered it on the podcast, right? No, we haven't. I'm probably going to do a playthrough at some point, and I'll, that'll be, uh, that's definitely high on my list to kind of get because I really want that game to be reprinted and expanded yeah, on that kind of Absolutely. Uh, so, how that game makes you care. Like I said, you use wooden cubes. Like they cannot get away with meeples, and that that, that is not a thing that you could. Sure. I know some people ask. They say, "Okay, why? You know, why not? You know, um, color the things black. They're you know they're, they're 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 slaves. You know, so like they intentionally made it like very abstract. It's like we have enough in our minds of like what slavery was, and and you know, kind of that reality that I don't. They they didn't need the game to bring you in there more. There was already a lot of motion there. We're in a game like Endangered. We don't know a lot about tigers and stuff, so they they. They give you more space because of the the meatballs, which is why I've noted it, to to give you the more emotional connection. So either way, the emotional connection is there. And Freedom was very careful. Like losing a slave was a big event. In in under, yes. you don't it doesn't happen very often. It's a it's marked. You know you have to take the meatball and, and put it in a spe- separate space. You don't just like chuck it into the box and like you know forget about it. It's 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 part of the it's part of like a, a, a track you keep in order to keep track of your lose condition. And I, I feel like you know a nature definitely kind of you know obviously you know you don't keep track of like the dead animals and everything, but you know th- it is a lose condition to lose all the animals, and it is kind of a still a fraud experience, and it isn't like this comical thing like it is in Rescue Polar Bears. I think like I, I love the fact that endangered made made it count whenever you lose an animal it really did kind of progress things and they did it in a respectful way just like freedom did and i i, I absolutely love the design of those things so if you're making so if you out there mr uh, designers are you know making kind of poignant games think very hard about the quote-unquote victims and how they integrate mechanically into and, and make sure whatever you do mechanically to make it count when you do kind of lose you know when when victims have to be kind of calculated and all that kind of thing Yeah, and that also goes into, I guess, like my final point on this, which is for designers, just kind of be careful what you want to uh, tell stories about in games. And what I mean by that is, first of all, do your research. I already said, like, kind of the value of that. And clearly Endangered, they not only did their research, but they also, like, partnered with groups. They're donating part of the proceeds of the game to conservation funds and groups and that kind of thing. So they clearly have done that kind of stuff. But, like... (laughs) The topic I'm about to talk about is is really close to my heart lately because my wife, who again is uh, Puerto Rican, is uh, writing her first book about uh, a Puerto Rican uh, man coming over from the island in the early 1900s and kind of like the horrific stuff he's leaving behind. And she's doing all this research on that. And that's like her history, her uh, her family's background. We know we've talked about this before. A lot of designers tend to be white men. But maybe th- th- there's a there's a trend in publishing called Own Voices Publishing, which is trying to get people to tell their own stories instead of having kind of white authors write about the black experience or the, you know, the black and brown experience for them. So I think the same kind of thing applies here. Like if your great idea is, hey, I want to, you know, P- Puerto Rico is a very problematic game because of how it to kind of normalizes plantation life and uses these meeples of a specific color, you know, like that kind of stuff is terrible. So if you're like white male designer and you're like, I'm going to make a game about how much it was tough living in Puerto Rico and how the indigenous people suffered, like maybe think about picking a different theme and letting (laughs) or getting a co-designer who like actually has some background or some history or some family in that. Just putting that message out there for any possible designers. 
Like there are so many great themes out there. If you want to do an important theme, more power to you. But maybe make sure it's like uh, your story to tell, or at the very least, you are heavily consulting the people whose story it actually is. Well, like, I mean, I, I, it kind of dovetails what I was saying about kind of like make the victims matter. Make that have very weight in the game. So like the thing about Puerto Rico is, you know, that you talked about like the colonist phase and they come over and the chips, you know, they come over from the ship and you put them on the plantation and they don't really mean anything. They're just markers to activate factories. And I, I can imagine because this was this has been litigated over and over again at BGG. So it's like, too bad. I'm Puerto Ricans. I really care about this. There's no stakes for the, the like nothing. There's nothing important there. Like imagine Puerto Rico where every time you wanted to generate a resource off an indigo farm, you had to roll a, a roll a die. And on a six, you lost the worker for whatever reason. And like that, all of a sudden you've created some kind of like poignancy and you've created some sort of like, you know, Oh my God, what's happening here. Never happened in a Euro, especially one that's like, you know, over 15, 20 years old at this point. But imagine like, if you want to do it right, if you want to, you know, like not make it comical, not make it, not devalue it, honor people's struggle, then like whatever chip you use, whatever signifier you use in your game has to connect and it has to matter. And it has to, you know, if it's, if it's a, a thing that is lost and that's, you know, history is bad, you know, uh, environmental is bad. There are victims. So you're going to have pieces that are lost. They better matter. They better count. Well, and, and my point goes along with what you said. I'm not going to say uh, as strictly as Mike that, you know, you need to be speaking through your own voice. I do think that is important that we get designers that can speak through their own voice. But if you are passionate about something, that that's my message. It's something you need to be passionate about. Like whether, you know, you are directly impacted or not, if you know plenty of people who are directly impacted and you have done a lot of your research and you've done your homework, I think that it's going to come through in the game design freedom underground railroad. You felt that. And I'm pretty certain that was designed by white men, but they, they put their homework in, right? I mean, you could tell that that was a passion project for them. I think it was actually a a teacher. Uh, Brian Myers is a teacher and a scholar. Uh, I don't know if he's a scholar, but it was definitely like very, very, very well read in the antebellum period. I, I mean, you could tell, right. You could tell that he was passionate about it. You could tell that they did the research in it. That's the important part there. So, you know, don't, don't do it lightly. There was a game that came out that was about indigenous people and it had totem poles in it. Manitoba. Oh God. Yeah. The the one about Canadian and they don't even call it like the term they were using isn't even what the Canadian uh, natives uh, called it. Like, I think they called themselves the first people or something. Yeah. Like it was, it was problematic in so many freaking ways. Right. So, I mean, don't do that. Right. Don't tack on a theme and pretend you're trying to put a, a theme in your game and then not put any research into it at all. Like if you're going to do that, go fantasy, go somewhere else. Like you can't, you can't really mess that up. Right. But if you are gonna put a theme on it, that means something, make sure you're doing your research and your homework. And it's something you're passionate about, not something you just think sounds cool and you just want to throw it in there. All right. Well, some, uh, some deep thoughts there and also some heavy recommends for Endangered, which I think really I, all of us seem to agree that did this very ably, did like a really nice job with uh, what could be a challenging theme and an important message to get out there. So uh, thank you, Jason Perez. So awesome to have you on the show again. It's so awesome to have your videos on One Stop Co-op Shop. Uh, Jason had mentioned, but we are going to do this uh, big panel with a bunch of content creators and kind of talk about the stresses of real life and how they interact with content creation. So you'll be hearing from him in, I don't know, uh, in, in a few weeks or a month at max. We're going to try to get that together pretty soon. And uh, seeing it as well, I think we're going to put that on the YouTube channel. But yeah, Jason, I always love to hear from you, man. 
No, it was just fun. I'm always always happy to come hop on. All right. So everyone out there, whether you're watching hockey or just listening to a podcast on gaming, be safe, uh, have fun, and we'll see you at the next stop. Later, everybody. Thanks for listening to another episode of the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. Please check out our YouTube channel at One Stop Co-op Shop. If you want to reach out to us, the best place to talk to us all is on the Slack. See the show notes for details. Also, you can support us on Patreon. Check out patreon.com slash one stop. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you all next week with another top five list. Oh, is that a Vetchkin again? Crap. He scored two. What's the series right now? Uh, It's one nothing Islanders. Islanders are one nothing in the series. Yeah, I'll keep track of that on the on the fast track or something. I used to be a huge Islanders fan back. Holy, I, I mean, I, I I became a fan like right after the dynasty team. Well, yeah, a lot of people did. Like, like I'm waiting for like the, the next thing, and like it's so funny like to go to Islanders games or like you know to follow the team, and they're like, okay, it's the 10th anniversary, 15th anniversary, 20th anniversary. It's like holy. This, this anniversary is stacking up. Yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> been wanna, 30 years since the dynasty started Shit. at this point. <laughs> can we, can it give me something else to cheer for. Well, being a Jets fan and Islanders fan, there hasn't been a lot since the 80s. Oh, God. Yeah. Are you both the Jets and Islanders? Yeah, both. Yep. Oh, so there you go. So we, we oh, here you something. go. Breakaway. Hold on. Scored. <laughs> <laughs> Holy oh, crap. This game's wow. a track meet. This game's, this game's a shootout. Uh, I I I I bet you had no idea what you were walking into, Mike. I mean, I I I don't even know where the Islanders are from. Are they New York, Peter? Since you like New York, yeah, Long Island, Long Islanders. Well, then, yeah. then I guess my wife probably knows about them. <laughs> where are they? Play- oh, where where is the arena now? Because I knew they were playing in Brooklyn. That was like a disaster. Uh, Belmont's going to be the new one. It's on the island. Okay. Uh, I don't know exactly where because I mean I haven't been on Long Island since I was. 10, 15 years old, but <laughs> I used to go to the mausoleum for games, man. I, I would go like five, six games a year. You know, I always went, I, I'll be honest. I don't know that I've ever been to an Islanders game that wasn't here in DC. I don't think I've ever been to one up at the Coliseum. Oh, what a <laughs> hole. <laughs> and now I never will. No, don't, no one should ever go there for anything. It's garbage. <laughs> but anyway, all right, we can get into the episode now. We don't have to keep we talking hockey. We do that. Although you may hear me yell randomly in the middle of the episode. Oh, look out! <laughs> we'll, we'll, just, we'll just pretend that it's directly connected to endangered. <laughs> like you're oh, really I'm super passionate. excited about endangered! Deforestation <laughs> landed right on that tiger. <laughs> nice. Yeah, and for our design discussion, we're going to talk about sensitive subjects in games. Oh my gosh, I'm sorry. That's my alarm telling us it's time to get ready for the episode. Hey, hey, Peter. Peter, it's time to record. Yeah, hey, thanks. <laughs> Go! That, that was really loud. And, I, I'll, t- I'll tell you, I almost wet myself a little bit. That was really loud and scary. I didn't know what was going on. <laughs> <laughs> Don't go to a hockey game. You'll wet yourself every time someone scores a goal. <laughs> By the way, quick, quick, uh, quick pause. Uh, I'm not sure if it's Peter or Jason, but I'm getting a. T- tell me which of you is hearing this, and it's not you. I'm getting like a kind of recurrent like bump sound. It's like poop. I haven't heard poop. it. Have you heard that at all, Jason? It's probably me. 
Okay. Yeah. So, so just it, b- both of you be careful if you're like, you're really close to your mic or if you're hitting anything that's on the same surface as your mic. I'm probably um, just, I'm, I'm just so I don't have to uh, edit out too many bumps. I'm pounding <laughs> the table, baby. <laughs> this Islanders <laughs> game's exciting. Pounding Wait, it. I thought, I thought you were in the bathroom. I've not yeah. been in the bathroom. That was a There's joke. A table man. in the bathroom. What are we talking about? Watch TV. At the TV. <laughs> yeah, I, I just picked up my lap, my computer, and and went, first of all, I don't have a laptop. I have a desktop, so I just picked up my desktop and took it to the bathroom with me. Come on now. <laughs> to, to, totally makes sense. And for those who have not heard our, wait, do we do that or do we do like the theme and? Mechanics first, yeah. yeah, we, we do the description first. See, I don't lead into this stuff. You lead in. <laughs> I know. You took the lead, man. You just started. Hey, I'm Mike. I'm here with Peter. I was like, what's this all about? I wanted to see <laughs> what would happen. And now I feel, <laughs> now I feel like... To I was busy watching about it. hockey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I am just watching hockey. I'll be honest. Like, You can do whatever you want on this episode. It's going to be terrible. <laughs> it's the, the no Peter episode. <laughs> I thought Peter was on it. He's watching Peter, hockey. Peter, what's your number three? Peter, Peter. <laughs> I like the power <laughs> play in a danger. Very cool. And hey, the Islanders scored a couple times and I didn't shout at all. So I'm proud of they myself. Here. Again? Oh, I missed it. It's four oh, to oh, two. Oh, oh, oh. It's four to two with two and a half minutes left. Down with the caps. Get out of here. You already won. You already won your cup caps. Time to make room. That's right, baby. Hey, guys. Yeah. Uh, I got nothing. I haven't been at all. I haven't been at all paying attention to you guys this whole episode. I've been watching hockey. Sorry. This is the first time. This is literally the first time I think in in 70 something episodes or 80 episodes together that you have not had something ready for that. (laughs) Oh, I never have anything ready. I go on the fly, but you know, it's. Well, we just scored an empty net goal, so the game is wrapped up. Yeah, yeah. It's the end of the game. You know, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta. (laughs) Wrap this podcast up. (laughs) 